Hey friends, this is Rob, and welcome to an experiment. I've, I'm not sure if I've ever done this before, but the reason I'm doing this is because I've had so many of you reaching out to me asking for more music-related content, whether it's behind-the-scenes stories from trips or observations, things I've learned from over a decade traveling the world as a bassist and music director. I've always put it off because I'm like, this isn't a music-related, uh, it's a music-related podcast, but this isn't like a music-specific podcast. But you know what? Sometimes you just have to tell yourself, dude, what what rules are you putting? Who's making these freaking rules? Are you, am I, I'm putting those on myself? Like I can't talk about this stuff? I don't know. If you're anything like me, you've got all these voices in your head that sometimes need to be told to shut the hell up and jump in the back seat. Let's try something new but what this is is this is an audio commentary an audio aid for an article that i wrote over at medium.com an article called four tips for artists negotiating your fee with venues and booking agents holy crap can we talk about that title for a second the only thing that i hate more than uh second guessing doing music related podcast content is listicles if you don't know what a listicle is is any article that has a number in the title that tries to grab your attention because it's 2020 and we're all just begging for attention right now. 10, 10 tips for how to use your time in the shower better. Five reasons why you should be wiping from front to back instead of back to front uh, and your butthole will thank you after reading this entire... So you, you'll never guess what happens at the end of this article. I don't know. It just seems so cheesy, but this came about in such a natural way. This came from a conversation I was having with a friend of mine over on Facebook. And after sharing some ideas with her, I just wanted to like leave. I feel like I should leave her with, you know, a few tactical things that she can implement into her career as a songwriter. And it ended up being four of them. And uh, I'm going to share that with you at the end of this article. But if you are taking notes, if you have thoughts, if there are things in this that you disagree with, if you're like, man, this is cool. You should do more of these. Uh, call the podcast hotline, leave a message, or text the podcast hotline. Either way, I would love to hear your thoughts. Let's make this interactive. Is there something I missed within this? Does this inspire some thoughts within you? The number is in the show notes below, and you can get a hold of me there. But here's the deal. Here's where it came from. Uh, my friend posted on Facebook recently where she was saying how she was frustrated in her interactions with a music venue dealing with how much they were going to pay her. They were saying something like, well, this is how much we play, pay, will pay you as a solo artist, and that is far less than we would pay you if you were coming with a band. And she was saying, like, well, complete bullshit to pay a solo artist less than a full band for the same amount of performance time. She's saying, I, you know, I'm here, I'm showing up, I'm giving it my all, I'm giving it just as much as anybody else that's performing on stage. You should, I'm filling, a, she was essentially looking at it like, I'm filling a time slot uh, here, performing music, you, you should compensate me the exact same as you would if you're compensating a band. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to dive into thoughts on what venues and booking agents are looking at and the way they think about how much they're going to pay an artist and a band and that pay scale and that tier and how that works is because I totally disagreed with her in the thought that an artist should be paid the exact same amount as a band or maybe not even should be, but an artist is going to be ever paid the same amount as a band. But just because I disagreed with uh, where she ended up, I understood what it's like to be frustrated with the commerce side of music. So instead of just saying, well, that's just one of the ways things works, I decided to explain how music venues approach compensation and give a couple of action steps because you deserve to get paid for your freaking music. So this was my reply. 
Hey friend, I understand that you are frustrated about getting paid less as a solo artist than a venue would pay a full band. Here's some insight that will help bring some clarity to some of your frustration on this conversation, but first, some context. After touring internationally with multiple bands and artists, after playing with small trios, subbing with orchestras, doing duo gigs, just myself and an artist, playing in the pit for musicals, uh, playing festivals, opening for bands like the Foo Fighters, to even consulting for artists that were just going to perform solo, buses, ships, planes, vans, cars, you name it, I've had the opportunity to see behind the scenes of a ton in the music industry. I understand your frustration because it sounds similar to how I felt when I was touring for an artist who would pay more to band members who are married than those who are single because they, quote, needed it more. We all played the same gig. We learned the uh, same amount of songs. We should get paid the same. Let me just tell you, it did not go over well. Unfortunately, when it comes to how you get paid as an artist by a venue, this is a completely different conversation unto itself. One where there are two factors at play here. One, ticket sales, and two, perceived value. If your contract is a dollar amount guarantee plus a percentage of the door, by the way, the door is just an industry term for ticket sales, and this agreement is most typical for the majority of artists and bands outside of a major tour. The The door is sometimes you'll get like a, okay, we'll pay you, we'll guarantee 250 bucks plus you will get 50% of the door. Sometimes venues will do something like that. How much you make is dependent on how many fans you bring in the door and how high of a percentage you negotiate, period. Now, if you're not talking about a show as a, quote, artist, but just looking to play a cover gig or background music, like as an opener or a filler spot of some sort, maybe at a wedding, you're now in the same boat as a freelance musician and compensation is dependent on your perceived value by those booking. The fact is, the perceived value of a full band is far greater than that of a single person in almost all scenarios. Unless you're like a bigger name like Ed Sheeran, and you're able to hold the attention of a full arena that you just sold out. By the way, that is insane. I don't give a crap what you think of Ed Sheeran's music. The fact that he's able to do that and be entertaining and hold an audience attention captive is bonkers to me. Because of this, people understand that they need to pay more for a band than they do just for a solo artist. Most artists agree with this and recognize the perceived value of having a band. It's a completely different musical experience, and those that want to create that experience are willing to tour the band, even though it's way more overhead, way more work, and way more things you have to deal with. That's why when booking full band gigs Every artist's fee or guarantee is far higher than it would be if they were to play solo. It's a misunderstanding of all of this that's the reason why someone responded to you in your Facebook comment section by saying, well, venues recognize the total of number of hours of input and prep that a full band has to do. They all got to rehearse together. Uh, that's reflected in the price. That simply isn't true. A venue doesn't give a single crap about the work that goes into your art. Their goal is simple. Bring more money in the door than goes out. Now, when it comes to rehearsing, as I saw in your reply, being frustrated that you don't get paid to rehearse or prep, you do the same amount as a band anyways. Unfortunately, or actually fortunately, that's the way music works. Nobody cares how many times we had to rehearse a tune to get it right. Even if a band or an artist pays for rehearsal, they don't pay for how long it took a musician to learn the tunes on their own. The good news is, 
nobody cares how many times you had to rehearse a tune to get it right. And that's a massively freeing thing depending on how you look at it, especially for someone like me that's not a prodigy. I can sit at home and it doesn't matter. No one gives a crap if I listen to a tune once and I got it right away and I performed it with you or if I had to sit in my studio and play it 120 times, the only thing people care about is your performance on stage. Okay, so all that said, you deserve to get paid for your music. Here are some tangible action steps you or any artist looking to make money performing live could consider. Number one is my theory of hourly versus salary. We need to stop looking at our music career, no matter who you are, as an hourly job and start looking at it as a salary job. Never do the math on how much you're getting paid for the time you practiced or learned the songs. Uh, I mean, I've done this a ton. I think about like, okay, I, play, I got $100 to play this gig and it took me four hours of work and then I was there for four hours. So I'm like, I'm like really losing money on this gig. Here's the deal. Some gigs pay more, some gigs pay less, but all of it goes into our salary of our year, how much we're pulling in through a year, and we get to decide how much we want to kill it every time we step on stage. How much are you willing to practice? How much do you need to make every year to survive? How many shows are you willing to play for that amount of money? How much time are you willing to put in to get as good as you'd like? We don't get paid for our averages. We get paid for our peaks. We don't get paid for the mistakes we make in practicing behind the closed doors. So get them out of the way. If you're interested in this thought, by the way, of what we get being how we're judged uh, by our peaks rather than our averages, a great book to dive into would be a book called Originals by Adam Grant or anything by Seth Godin would be great reading on this topic. I would recommend starting with Seth's book, The Dip. But either way, this thought of hourly versus salary has brought so much freedom in my mind because it combats this uh, temptation to look at gigs and think, oh, well, I'm only getting paid this amount of this gig. So this isn't as serious as a gig. Uh, them getting paid such and such amount that's like 10 times more whatever it is it's easy to start looking at gigs on hierarchies but if we look at our lives and our careers as a salary gig then it allows you to sit and think of like okay if this is my salary then how do i want to show up to every single gig, no matter how much I'm being paid. Okay, number two is take an honest look at how much your time performing on stage is worth. To you, both you, how much you think your time is valued, and also how valuable your time is in the eyes of those hiring you. Figure out your fee and stop negotiating. You can say something like, hey, thanks for thinking of me. This is how much I charge, and I'd love to do it if your budget is able to make that happen. Now, what if the venue responds to you and says, okay, I know this is your fee and how much you ask for, but this is how much we play singer-songwriters and it's less than you're asking for. Okay, now you have now you're in a position where you have to negotiate if you do want that gig. But maybe consider asking the venue to sweeten the deal. Uh, this is a tip that I learned from a CIA negotiator that I met once and they said uh, you could respond by saying something like, that's below my usual required fee, but if you're willing to do, say, this, then I'll be willing to meet you halfway and do it for that. And two things happen here. Number one, it gives you the opportunity for different things. You could say something like, well, you know, I'm coming in if you will cover, if you will comp a meal or give me a certain amount of drink tickets or you'll give me a certain amount of uh, plus ones entries at the door. Or you'll do something here, whatever you can think of that you'd want them to sweeten the deal by. Or maybe, hey, I'll do it for this, but maybe you put me in a better time slot. Is this something you can negotiate here? What this does is it adds to what they're giving you 
And also it puts them in a position to feeling grateful. Like you're saying, hey, yeah, I'll meet you halfway here. What are you willing to do? And it gets someone's mind rolling like, oh, yeah, that's okay. That's right. This is a give and take thing. You're willing to come down a little bit. What am I willing to rise up and meet you with? What do I have to offer? If you find yourself in negotiations about fees, that is something to consider. Finally, number four, and I think this is most important, you need to get serious about merchandise. There are very few artists who make their main money from a door or guarantee nowadays. Most tours only happen because of merch sales. Not the Most tours are just breaking even because of the ticket sales and they make their money because of the merchandise. You know, I, I once heard it said that artists and musicians, if given a choice between making 20000 a year, but you get to say that like all came from music, whether it's like your online streaming or ticket sales, or on the other hand, you'd have the option of making $100,000 a year, but that comes from selling funny hats and t-shirts that people bought as merch, either online or at your shows. Most artists' ego would have them stuck at 20 grand. This merchandising is so important. And maybe you're someone that's saying, well, merchandise, it's, it's, I don't know if that investment is worth it. Even right now, if you want to dip your toe into it, uh, you can go through a print-on-demand type service like I have uh, through a company called Teespring. If you want to check out the merch that I have for the podcast, you can head over to thecuriouspod.com slash store. And that all is print-on-demand. There's, no, uh, there's, there's no upfront commitment on my end. This company, Teespring takes care of my entire merchandise, uh, the storefront, the shipping, the dealing with customers. All I do is when I sell a t-shirt, say say they sell it for a certain price, they take out their fee for how much it costs them to print it, uh, and then I get the overhead, and that just goes to me, and once a month, I get a payout. Uh, hey, and by the way, if you want to support the podcast, that helps me in a massive way. Head over to thecuriouspod.com slash store and buy yourself a badass t-shirt. But again, if you find yourself frustrated thinking about how much time you're putting into practicing and being compensated and the relationship between the two of those, consider viewing your career as salary instead of hourly. If you are tired of the negotiations, cut out the negotiations. Put a hard bottom line on how much you're willing to play a gig for, but no, uh, that might mean that some venues aren't able to make that. Again, if you do have to negotiate, ask the venue to sweeten the deal and finally seriously get serious about merch because that's where it's at. That's where your money is going to come from. Hey, I hope this helped. Tell me what you thought of this. Is music-related content, is this something you'd like more of? You can leave me a comment anywhere online. I am at the Rob Morgan on all platforms, or you can head over to thecuriouspod.com and call or text the podcast hotline. But listen, at the end of the day, I'm with you. Negotiating money is by far the lamest part of a career in music, but unfortunately, it's non-negotiable. <laughs>